Your leaders right there. I love it. So we're going to carry on the thought, the thought, the theme of community groups. This is week two of that. And, and I was thinking this morning as we were worshiping, what a powerful name. What a powerful name. And the reason we're kind of staying with community groups and talking about those and staying with them for several weeks is it's the best vehicle that we have to get that powerful name outside of these walls. It can be very easy to have sort of the spiritual huddle here, and it's comfortable, but to get the powerful name outside of here, we have these things called community groups, small groups, whatever, and it's just a way to take the larger group, break it down into a smaller group, and a lot of us are already involved in these, and so I'm bringing this up sort of for two reasons. One, if you're not in one, I encourage you to think about it, but if you are in one, I just want to encourage you, I guess, to keep going because life can get hectic and it's really easy to feel like it's just one more thing. I don't have time for it. And let's face it, Satan came to divide and destroy. And so if he can break us up and not help us be unified, then he wins, we lose. So the thought of, as, as Greg did a great job sharing last week, the thought of a community group uh, it's not a biblically mandated institution or organization. It's just our best man-made vehicle to arrive at the destination. And the de- destination is what Jesus said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's contextualized here at Covenant as know Jesus and make him known. And so the purpose of that is to know Jesus and to make him known. I was thinking it's kind of like prayer before you eat dinner, that's not a biblically mandated activity, but we do it. It's a great tradition. And what's the goal in that? The goal in that is gratitude. The goal in that is thankfulness. The goal in that is realizing that our food uh, you know, doesn't come from us, it comes from God. And so it's a nice tradition. We, we all do it, and maybe some of us are in the habit more than others, but it's not biblically mandated. But it does, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So it's one of those things that we put in place as humans to help us arrive at a God-ordained destination. So there's three elements that we've talked about. Greg overviewed them last week. Gathering together, sharing together, and then blessing others. I'm just going to focus on gathering this week, and then Kyle will be back up here mercifully, get these rookies out of here, and he'll talk about a couple weeks on sharing and blessing. But when you think of gathering, um, the Old Testament's full of gathering. Probably the most dominant gathering in the Old Testament was fighting. They were either attacking or defending. They were always doing that in large numbers. They didn't usually go out alone. Uh, Amanda brought to our attention last week of the gathering to worship. There was corporate worship that went on a lot in the Old Testament. And there was the power in that corporate worship. And there was also a gathering. They gathered to feast a lot. They ate a lot. They ate a lot together for like long periods of time. Seven days. Imagine what Costco would have been like back then. I mean, you know, pallets of barbecue sauce for pulled oxen. I mean, it would have been great. You know, we just got 5,000 Chinette plates. They, they, they shrink wrap them. That's nice. You can put them in the back of your truck. But, yeah, they gathered for instruction, too. Um, right? Moses and Aaron would uh, bring the people together for instruction, for sharing words from God. And then the New Testament, Jesus would pull together groups. His followers, like, Greg shared last week, the Sermon on the Mount pulled them together, gathered together. So gathering is a common theme in the Bible for different reasons. And maybe one of the most uh, significant, influential gatherings is the, uh, the apostles. 
I mean, would it be irreverent to say that was our first community group? You know, 12 guys hanging out, living life together, sharing life, blessing others, doing the work of God. We're going to talk more about the apostles in a minute, but that was kind of a a starting point. But each gathering had a common purpose. They had a God-given, God-driven purpose. And so our gatherings are also for the God-given purpose of knowing Jesus and making him known. So I was thinking of trying to make a metaphor and help us understand sort of the significance of the gather. And so I want to share with you a story that you might have heard. It made national news, and so you may have heard it. It, was, it happened uh, in October 2015, a couple of years ago, 2015. Little boy Michael, who's five, and little boy Adrian, who's seven, they are cousins. They went camping down at the Daniel Boone National Forest down in uh, Kentucky, Red River Gorge. And they went camping with their dads and then with their common grandfather. So notice there's no women in this group, just boys, which already sets up a little problematic because, you know, the guys are watching their kids. We don't do that well at multitasking. So when they were setting up camp, men were not born with eyes in the back of their head. And so little Adrian, little Michael, they wanted to find a place where they could hide, where nobody could find them. They thought that was pretty cool in the campground. So both the dads are setting up camp, and little Michael and little Adrian, five and seven, they take off to find a place to hide where nobody can find them. And they were successful. They found a place where no one could find them. Well, I was there that same weekend, but I was not right there. I was up on a big rock called Cloud Splitter, camping with some guys here. And we were way up on top, off the, off the forest floor. And we... Uh, camp up there for several days, and some, once in a while we sort of get the urge to sleep outside for the night, which seems so neat at first until you wake up in the morning, you're soaked because your bag is full of dew, but you kind of forget that when you lay down. So we were laying down, and I always wear earplugs when I sleep out there. That way I can't hear the bears. I just don't know they're out there. It's more comforting. But in the middle of the night, I'm hearing this loud chopper over my head, and I thought, who in the world is out in the middle of the night, whatever they're doing with a helicopter? And I didn't open up my eyes, but I'm sure they had a searchlight on at the same time. They were probably checking us out. And so I was kind of cursing the chopper. And then it eventually left. Well, the next day we came down and we're doing some day hiking. And we learned that little Mike and little Adrian uh, had not come back. They had been so successful at finding a place that no one would find them, that no one found them. And so there was a search party that went out. The forest rangers set up a, set up a, a base station and folks came to the base station, and they, uh, you know, they had coffee, they had snacks, they had food there, and they also had food to take with them for finding a little five-year-old and little seven-year-old Michael and Adrian, so they could, you know, supply food because these guys were were gone, and there was this was through the night, and so the next day this this, uh, this hunt continued, but they had this base station, and here's the part that I think really resonates with what I want to share. They came together at this base station, and they got some food. They got supplies. supplies. They talked to each other. They connected with each other, and then they went off and were looking for the boys. Now, imagine if they'd have gotten together, and if they'd have shared life and talked and shared stories and talked about how terrible it is these kids are in the woods, and they just went home. They gathered, and then they went home. They would never have accomplished their mission. Or what if they hadn't gathered... There's over 700,000 acres in the Daniel Boone National Forest and 3,000 miles of sandstone cliffs little Michael and Adrian could be hanging over the edge of. 
What if they just decided to walk in the woods? All of, anybody who wanted to walk in the woods, let's go look for Michael and Adrian. There would have been no structure. There would have been no plan. And so the gathering for finding the lost boys who didn't know they were lost at one point, it took a strategic gathering as a starting point. And I thought that was such a powerful metaphor because that gathering provided a lot of the things that our community groups provided. For instance, it provided food. I mean, just humanitarian, it provided food for the wor- workers, for those who were going out. They, you know, there's, there's food and snacks for them. It provided focus. What's our goal? What are we doing here? Why are we doing this? It provided camaraderie, right? No one walks alone. There used to be a tagline decades ago here, no one walks alone. So no one did walk alone. They were out there in groups looking for these little guys. Uh, sort of uh, camaraderie, more can be accomplished together than being alone. It provides some inspiration. There's a certain energy level when everybody's headed out for the same mission, sort of the synergistic element. It provided direction, sort of tactically, where are we going, who's going where, who's going, so we're not all stumbling on top of each other, maximize our efforts. And it provided accountability. Everybody started there and they ended there. It was a starting point and ending point. This was sort of a gathering place to make sure that we were all doing what we should be doing. Teamwork, they were all headed in the same direction, even though they used different methods. Some were up in the sky in helicopters, some were driving cars, some were walking. So there's different methods, but they all had the same goal. The same destination was identical for all of them. And that's the same thing with our community groups. It provides the same elements for the gathering to set us up for sharing and blessing, which I'm not going to steal Kyle's thunder that comes up later on next week's next two weeks. So you might be saying... Isn't the Sunday morning, isn't this the same gathering? It wasn't this good enough? It's an argument, it's a, it's a good question, but I'm going to say that no, it's not the same. Because Sunday morning consists of teaching, preaching, consists of corporate worship. It consists of some fellowship. We, we have communion we're going to do later on this morning. We remember the foundation of our, of our salvation. But the capital C church, right, the, the big church, the gathering on Sunday morning, or even for some Saturday night, whatever, it's really evolved. It has evolved over the decades, and, it, and we're tempted, without a lot of work, to be more consumer-driven, consumer-focused, than setting us up to be Christ followers. An interesting survey along the line of being more consumer-driven versus Christ followers, I, I saw this, was done last year by the Pew Research Center, which is a nonpartisan fact tank that talks about trends and, and uh, attitudes shaping America. It said American churches, capital C, American churches have produced a generation of spiritual consumers who want little more from the religious community than a good pulpiteer, good preaching, a satisfying worship experience, and a congregation filled with nice, friendly members. Nearly one-third of the churchgoers have changed their church membership at some point as adults. Nearly one-third have changed their membership. And of those, a majority of those changed because of social reasons, practical reasons, problems with the old church. Only a few of them changed because they literally moved and they had to change churches. 
And so the four big factors in shopping for a church were quality of sermons in decreasing order, quality of sermons, feeling welcomed by leaders, style of services, and location. That's kind of the reason people pick or leave churches. So an online blogger was commenting on this. He said, I suspect many, if not most, churches will respond to the survey in one of two ways. Churches providing the things that shoppers are seeking will be pleased that their thumb is on the spiritual pulse of the culture. Those that aren't will be anxious to catch up to the demands of the market. And then he says this, however, for the discerning church, which I like to think that we are the discerning church, the findings will be a wake-up call for absent Absent is anything suggesting the desire for a personal spiritual growth in a gospel-centered, mission-driven, discipleship-oriented church. Basically, I, I come, I listen, I sing, and I go home, I live my life the way I did before. Versus, you know what, there's a lot more to being a Christ follower than that. But the church has sort of evolved, capital C Church has evolved in that direction. And not to our benefit. As a, as a counselor, as a coach, somewhere along the line, I want to find out what role spiritual life plays in a person's repertoire, how, it, how it's helpful or not helpful. And so at some point, I'll ask everybody, what role does spirituality play? It's kind of a standard question I ask at some point. But the answers, I'm sure not surprising, are sad. The number one answer I get is whether or not they go to church which is interesting, but that's one hour, one day, one week. How about the other six days of the week? What, what does your life do? What spirituality play in your life? And it's kind of a foreign thought for some people because it's really come down to, I just do church and that's my life. And that's so not what Jesus had in mind. That is so not the way it started out. When Jesus was in his public ministry, when he, when he called his apostles, he told him, he said, here's two things. One, drop everything. And two, follow me, and I'm going to take your talents and abilities and skills, and I'm going to be able to expand the kingdom of God through you. So he told Peter and Andrew, who were fishermen, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Right, so he said, stop your life the way you know it. Follow me, and I'm going to have you expand the kingdom of God. Which back in the days when Jesus was doing his ministry, that was pretty strange because the young boys, the young, young Jewish boys, who showed a lot of intellectual promise, would go to the Jewish uh, Hebrew synagogues and they would memorize the Torah. They'd memorize other parts of the Hebrew scripture. And then they would seek out a rabbi that they would literally follow the rabbi to learn what the scriptures meant. See, they knew the scriptures. They memorized them. But they would follow the rabbi closely. They would change their lives to follow the rabbi so they could learn the application, the interpretation. What should this book that I've just learned what does it mean to me? How should I live my life? But Jesus flipped that around. He went and called people, which rabbis and teachers didn't call people. They waited for them to come to them. And Jesus wasn't looking, like, looking for the wise and the intelligent and the intellectuals. He was looking for the common man. He was looking for nobodies, if you might say that. And he said, I'm going to teach you more knowledge. I'm going to teach you more application about the Messiah, who I am, Jesus said. And later on, I'm going to share, teach you how to share that knowledge with a lost world. We know that as the gospel. So now many people follow Jesus called disciples, and so they may have been, to be fair, sort of consumer-driven. 
Can I get healed? Can I get well? Can I get better? And so Jesus did those things, but he did those signs. He did those miracles for the purpose of saying, there's a greater need you have in your life. I'm going to heal you, heal your daughter, heal your mother, but there's a greater need that you have in your life. And so the thought of consumerism even started back then. They went for a reason. I want something. And Jesus gave it to them, but he said there's more than that. And then after his death, burial, and resurrection, he said this in Matthew 28, a familiar verse for most of us, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, go, go make disciples, make followers of me in all the nations, go and do, don't just sit still and learn, and go home and live your life the way you lived before. So Jesus was more interested in the willing than the wise. And so one of the reasons, one of the benefits, one of the byproducts, if you will, of the community groups is that it increases our willingness. It increases our willingness. Our willingness to be salt and light because of the synergistic effect of those around us to be Jesus' hands, his feet, his followers, and not merely consumers, where I go to church and then I go home. And so it's something outside of that. Back to the story of the lost boys. The people who gathered were all kinds of people, right? They were professionals. The people do this for a living. They were community. They were family. Needless to say, the moms came down because they were more than interested in what their husbands had failed. I think it's probably a pretty good chance the husbands still don't have a chance to go camping with those boys again, but... The moms came down, but everybody who was there had a willing heart. And so Jesus said, you know what? I don't want the wise. I want the willing. Now imagine if the Forest Service had paid people to come look for those lost boys. Consumer-driven. They'd have had people there looking to make money, not with a willing heart. And so by voluntarily getting involved with the community group, you're saying, already, I'm willing to do more for the kingdom of God. I'm willing to provide a voice maybe inside of me, uh, feet for the voice inside of me that says, I'm not really doing as much as I should for the kingdom. And so this is going to be a man-made vehicle that could really help me do that. Um, So the more you hang around with others, the more it increases your willingness. willingness. So that's one of the benefits of having a community group. The second benefit is that it keeps us connected to the mission. What are we doing and why are we doing it? to love Jesus, to love our neighbor, and certainly not just as a community group. Right? We're not connected to this. We only do the mission of loving Jesus when we're with the group, but it's more of a lifestyle. And so again, it increases our willingness. It keeps us connected to the mission of, as individuals, as ambassadors for Christ 24-7, how am I communicating the message of Jesus to those in my sphere of influence? You have a sphere of influence. I have a different one. What do I do with that sphere of influence? So just kind of hanging out at the uh, being together keeps us from being distracted. I mean, it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to, to just be too busy. I just got too much going on. And I forget the fact that oh, I'm only here because of God's grace. I only have life in me because of God's grace, and I'm here to be an ambassador and so this is kind of a, a gentle reminder of what is my mission for being on this planet. So in addition to connecting us to the mission, it also helps build mission 
like-minded relationships, right? We get to know a small group of folks. We've gotten together with a small group of folks that I didn't really know that well before. We've had a lot of fun with them. You know, you share meals, you share stories, you share life, you know, you hang out together, and you're getting kind of intimate on the social and emotional level at times. Then you watch what God does with a group. I mean, different ideas come to the group, and God can use each member and say, what should we do as a group? And Greg, I like these words that Greg said last week. Watch God transform the group into a single-purposed unit with shared values and shared vision. A bunch of disjointed people that come together for a single-purposed unit that have shared values and shared vision. And building mission-minded relationships also teaches us how to listen and share. Those are two qualities that are really important for being salt and light for Jesus, is to know how to be a good listener. And oftentimes we're not very good listeners. We tend to maybe talk more than we should. And so to really be able to share with others, we need to learn to be good listeners. I am a paid listener, and so I kind of have to do it. But it's amazing how much you can learn by just shutting up and listening and almost letting them walk themselves into the need for a Savior or walk themselves into sort of their own desperate situation, at which time, the right time, you come along board and say, yeah, here's what what Jesus has to offer. And the fourth uh, blessing or benefit from a community group, which I think is the hardest one, I think it's the most um, difficult one, is it teaches us sacrificial living. Um, Matthew ten thirty eight says this, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So there's an element of sacrificial living, losing your life for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, community groups teach us how to be sort of inconvenienced which is another quality, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It doesn't really work on my terms, and kind of, I'm kind of selfish. I kind of like the life my way, and I know enough to know that I'm not alone in that. Um, I kind of like my ducks lined up the way I like my ducks lined up, and then when it doesn't work out, then I have to be inconvenienced. I have to sacrifice. I don't really like to do that. So I like the verse in Proverbs 14. I've quoted it often that says, if you want a perfect barn, right, keep the animals out, because as soon as you get the animals in there, that barn's going to be full of full of things. And so, if you want a perfect life, keep the people out, because the people kind of screw it up, and uh, that's not good. But you know what? God made us for community. And so there's this natural tension that I love. I love when God gives us natural tensions that we're just trapped into. One of those great ones is called marriage, right? It takes us totally different people, different gender, different backgrounds. It says, here, get along. Okay, that's a disaster, without a whole lot of God interference. And so, he makes us all so beautifully different. As Scott Paul says, we're all made different. Isn't that beautiful? Until we try to get along together. It's not all that beautiful. Because then we have to kind of adjust and sacrifice, and that's not all that fun sometimes. But it's what that teaches us. So the gathering part teaches us to cohabit, to exist with other people. And so sacrificial living means cutting into your, your busy schedule, to have a meal together. Um, making food, buying food, fixing food for people that you wouldn't normally fix food for, just sort of that whole rhythm. Uh, Because I guarantee you that every person that came out looking for those lost boys had something else to do. I know they did. But they adjusted their schedule to come look for those lost boys. Now, yes, it was a one-time deal. At some point, any metaphor breaks down, right? It was a one-time deal. So we're talking about the sort of the need to sacrifice for that, the need to cut into our schedule for that. 
But it also tends, this whole thought of sacrificial uh, living also tends to reveal any emotional struggles we have. And let me share this one. It's kind of interesting. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for whatever reason, I've just started reading his life, and I've really enjoyed, I mean, the man was a man on a mission, if anybody was. But I'm not going to summarize his life. But just, um, he wrote a book, a little book called Life Together. And he's got a line in there that I thought was so powerful. Two lines. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. So leave that up there for a couple minutes, Matt. Let him who cannot be alone. What do we call that in today's psychobabble? Codependent. I can't be alone. I have to be around people all the time. That's the danger of community. And so if you come into a community, and if you gather with the need of what's in it for me, because I can't be alone, so I need you guys, that's not real attractive. It's also being fairly needy. And all of us can go there. I mean, I'm, we, we can all go there. But if you can't be alone first, be careful rushing to community groups because you want to have a balance there. But if you're not in community, beware of being alone. That's called hermit. That's called isolation. That's called, I don't want to be around people. And God's saying, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying, right, be careful on the balance here. It, it reminds me a little bit of Paul talking about coming to the communion table. Don't come starve. This isn't a place to eat and drink from the standpoint of sustenance. You know, make sure you eat at home. Make sure you drink at home. Don't drink too much here. Don't eat too much here. So it's a balance. Um, and I think it's so key for these groups. I've heard of groups where people have been stretched on both of those lines in our groups, or where people have been a little bit on the codependent side, looking to get life out of the community, and where people have been a little bit on the hermit side, not really wanting to be in community, and how that has been beautifully morphed, changed, adjusted as a result of being in a group together. So it's, it's a neat way of summarizing, and I thought he did a great job of putting that together, just kind of analyzing why am I going to be in a group. And I think Jesus did a great t- job of his life um, presenting a time to be together and a time to be alone. He left for the purpose of hanging out with his father, and then he was also heavily involved in community. So I think there's a really delicate balance that we can see from his own life. And Ecclesiastes, it's kind of like speaking. There's a time to speak, there's a time to be silent. There's a time to talk, there's a time to listen. So it's the same thing. So our push, our emphasis on uh, community groups is not to fill programs at Covenant. It's not about promoting Covenant. Um, Just as a gathering to find the lost boys was not to increase the visibility of the park ranger's job or the National Forest Service or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, Oh, as far as the lost boys go, you might be wondering what happened to those lost boys. Yeah, they're still lost, right? No. 21 hours. They were gone 21 hours. So they spent the whole night. And uh, there's, you know, there's wild animals out there. And there's spiders, you know, the size of grapefruit. I mean, those suckers are huge. We, we hike in at night and there's these spiders that, you know, you have to kind of step over because they're bigger. And these guys, they slept on the ground. I guess they ate some sticks. And they really were cool with it. One of these guys must have been pretty brazen because they weren't all that afraid. They had a fun time. 
Uh, and they didn't like come desperately running out of the woods. Somebody found them. I don't know who found them. I don't think it was their mothers. But 21 hours. Because so as a mother's heart and as a father's heart, you can appreciate how desperate that would have been to not be with your kids that long. And 700,000 acres of woods and 3,000 sandstone cliffs. But it has a very happy ending. But it did make national news. Maybe some of you heard it. And our own Kelly Stalika. Is you, are you in the house today or no? She's a nursery. Well, I'll brag on her. Kelly Stalika did a little bit of uh, mission work yesterday. I was down at the Black Swamp Arts Festival. And Kelly Stalika found a lost boy who didn't know he was lost. But he was lost. And so she pulled on a policeman and they kind of sat there together. And then out of nowhere comes flying this woman who lunges at this kid. And it was interesting to see the different views of reunification. The kid was like, whatever, it's good to see you. But... (laughs) You know, mom was like, he's dead, now he's alive. And so it was, it was a beautiful picture, and Kelly just sort of slowly backed away and let the thing happen. It was really, it was a neat little moment. I wish I could have captured it. Um, but that's our job. We're out there to, to, to share news with folks who are lost and don't know it. And that's, that's such a, a metaphor for that. And that's our goal as being Christ followers, and so this human institution of uh, gathering together as a group is just a man-made vehicle to, to get to that destination. That's all it is. And we thought it would be necessary to spend some time to talk about it. So maybe I think we're all in different places on our spiritual journey, and maybe you know nothing about Jesus, and that's fine. That's a great place to start. And community groups would be a great place to learn. Like, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? And who is Christ and all that stuff? And so, great. Check into a community group and figure out what does it mean. Or maybe you're somebody who you've been a Christ follower for a lot of years, but you really don't get out of your comfort zone because that's something I don't really do. And so a community group would be a great place just to get the infection, the, the drive, the the uh, inspiration to go out and say, you know, maybe there's something going on. We've heard some pretty funny stories and interesting stories, and Kyle will be sharing those in the weeks to come as far as some of the benefits of, uh, of what the community group has done. So let's uh, end it there. I've given you enough to think about. Let's stand, and the worship team's going to come up. Um, they're going to play a couple songs, and when they're playing, feel free to come on up here and just kind of Grab a piece of bread and put it in the wine. It's our, our way of remembering a biblically mandated activity of Christ uh, on the cross for us and what that means to us. And so if you want to come up, great. If you don't, that's fine too. It's okay to be where you are. It's just good to sort of learn to grow at the same time. But we can do that sometimes during the next three songs. So let's pray together. Father God, thanks um, for creating us and thanks for dying for us and God, we were once lost, and maybe some of us didn't know it. And so, God, you called us to um, share with others in various ways and various methods. And, God, these community groups are just something that we feel that could expand the kingdom and expand our willingness. God, you're not looking for wise people. You're looking for willing people. Um, so, yeah, God, just move in our hearts. Direct us to the group that you want us to be in. And just the direct activities of the group. We are trusting you, God, for the, for the outcome of this. In Christ's name, amen.